Well, we come to uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, to the Colossians, the Christians there in that town. And as he begins each letter to these Christian communities, he tells them that he is in prayer for them. And then he says exactly what it is that he's praying uh, over them and for them. He sends God's grace and his peace to them and then uh, lifts them up in prayer. And this particular prayer for the, uh, for the Christians there uh, goes like this. Uh, we've not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. And you'll perhaps note that our collect for today, that opening prayer that was said, uh, picks up exactly the same theme. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. In actual fact, all of the readings really are thematic today around this theme. Knowing what we should do to bear fruit. Understanding how we should go about this. First of all, he says that you should be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that's a spiritual wisdom. He says a spiritual wisdom and understanding that speaks to one's heart about what is God's will. And then we come to uh, that little uh, conjunction. I've said before that uh, when Paul writes, um, we, we've got to really look out for those. Uh, because um, I have a husband who has ADD and a daughter who has ADD, and, and, and I, I think Paul has ADD because you, you know what he does. He just, um, you know, so the Lord uses everybody, um, you know, whatever, however we are, but Paul will go off on a thought, and then he'll go, oh, yeah, and I think about this too, and oh, that's made me think about this too, and then he'll go off here, and then finally he'll kind of come back and say, so that... So those are the things you've got to look out for in Paul, the so that. He's thought about again where he started off and he's pulling himself back there again. So what is it? So that you lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Such lives, he says, will bear fruit in good works as the knowledge grows. So as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so greater will those fruit be of our lives lived according to his will. But, but how do we do that? How, how do we grow in the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, as I said, uh, you know, our passage from Deuteronomy, our psalm, uh, this letter and the gospel all give us indicators uh, for that. First of all, I would say that we are to be a God-oriented people. 
What is our primary orientation? Is it to ourselves or is it to God? When you wake up in the morning, is your first thing a list of to-dos for the day? Or is it, thank you God for the evening rest? And before your foot hits the floor, this day is yours, Lord. Thank you for the day that I am about to enter into. Are are we living God-oriented lives or self-oriented lives? So I think the first thing to increase in the knowledge of the will of God is to be primarily God-oriented. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people, the Lord will again take delight in prospering you when you obey the Lord your God because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, not the leftovers. Not the, after I've thought of everything else, then I'll turn to the Lord. But all our heart, all our soul. In other words, it is impossible for us to bear the fruit of good works unless our whole being, our heart and our soul, are completely oriented to God. So we are first and foremost to be a God-oriented people. But secondly, we're to be a God-trusting people. People who trust in the goodness, the love, the grace, the truth of the Lord. David, a man after God's own heart in Psalm 25, acknowledges that in the face of his enemies, though he has redoubtable strength and courage in and of himself. Remember, this is the chap as a little guy, uh, took off all of the armor and just went out with a slingshot to slay the giant. You see, he has strength in himself, but he understands that it's only in trusting the Lord that he engages and wins these battles. I put my trust in you, he says. Even in the face of these enemies, he is facing a lot of enemies. And then further on in verse 4, he says, In you have I trusted all the day long, from the minute he wakes up to the minute he goes to bed. In you have I trusted. And Paul praises the Christians in Colossae for their faith, or their trust in Jesus Christ. A trust, he says, that that is based on the sure hope of eternal life revealed to them in the word of truth. Epaphras has evidently shared that word of truth with them, and it has seated itself in them, and they are trusting in the Lord in the sure hope. They are trusting in the truth of the word. We live in a society that understands truth a little bit differently than that which is recorded here. It's my truth, my, my personal truth. If, 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 if I think it's true, then it's true. But in actual fact, Jesus said he's the truth. He's the only truth. He is the truth and he's the way. 
Other religious leaders have said, well, I'll point you the way. If you follow this, do this, this, that, and the other, then that is the way. But Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a really strong claim. He has said that he is the truth, and he doesn't point the way. He is the way. And uh, I've quite possibly quoted this before. It's again C.S. Lewis, his celebrated words. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell and you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious, says Lewis, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. So we are to be a God-oriented people and a God-trusting people. Not only that, but we are to be a God-surrendered people. A people who trust God, who are oriented to God, but who have a teachable and humble spirit who are ready to be surrendered and obedient to God. We were hearing about Mary, who was the epitome of what it means to be surrendered and obedient in the Christian formation class this morning. We are to be a God-surrendered people. David pleads with the Lord, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your path. In verse 3 of Psalm 25, And in verse 8, he says, God teaches sinners in his way. He guides the humble in doing right. We can only do those things that please the Lord when we are surrendered to the Lord's ways, walking humbly with our God, always open for him to teach us, even if sometimes um, there might be a little bit of an argument there to begin with. I've argued with God. No, seriously, you want me to do that? But unless we surrender all of who we are, then we cannot live a life pleasing to God. It's obedience and surrender, trusting that he knows what is best for our lives, what is wholeness for us. Trusting, oriented to God, trusting God, surrendered to God, and then a God-loving people. Not only are we to be all of these other things, but we are to be a people who love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength 
and with all your mind. It's the response of the lawyer to Jesus' question, what do you read? What do you read there? And it is, of course, the great commandment of Jesus to love the Lord with all of who you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. We love, says St. John, because God first loved us. The love of God that is in us finds its source in the love that we have first been shown. But we forget about that. We, We forget about giving thanks because thankfulness increases in us our love for God. You know, we, uh, we, um, we had our healing service here on Thursday and uh, we went through a reading and, and um, a time of sharing and, and then a confession and a litany or a, a, a series of prayers for healing, laying on of hands for healing and, uh, and, and then um, more prayers for those in the medical community, uh, practice medicine. And then we came to giving thanks. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Trinity. And as that's going on, now we'd had two run-throughs of this, and we knew where the music was going to go, and we knew how it was going to progress. And as we're going through this thankfulness, I'm thinking we've just got to sing, give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks, for he has given Jesus Christ his son. And so I'm kind of thinking, well, I'm, I'm just going to ask Paddy if we can manage this one. And so I, I turn over and I said, Paddy, is it, is it, can we sing Give Thanks? I think she was all, already there. But um, at the end she said, I knew you were going to ask me to play that song. And I said... I knew that you knew that I was going to ask you. (laughs) You know those times when it's like you don't even have to say a word, but I knew that she knew that that's where we were going. And uh, it was just a really sweet time. We We don't give thanks. We don't remember enough the great sacrifice that shows the deep love. It's one of the reasons why I am so thrilled with the stations around the campus because it is a way for us to walk and give thanks because we walk those 14 stations of the last hours of Jesus' life where he is uh, at the stone pavement where he is given his cross where he falls for the first time, where his face is wiped, where he falls the second time, when he encounters the women of Jerusalem, where he encounters his mother, where he falls again, where he's nailed to the cross, where he dies on the cross, where he's taken down from the cross, where he's laid in his mother's arms, and then laid in the tomb. See, we don't remember often enough the sacrifice. We have it in the words, 
but they tend to flow over us. In the words of the liturgy, all the time we're reminded of that, but they become too familiar. We have to be a people who give thanks on a regular basis for the love. Because when we give thanks for the love, the love increases in us for the one who has first shown us this amazing love. We are to be a God-oriented people, a God-trusting people, a God-surrendered people, and a God-loving people. Because then we will show forth the fruit of good work. Because we are in our knowledge of the will of God will have increased within us to the point that we will not need to be told who is our neighbor. Even if that neighbor looks like our enemy, we will show mercy. We will show forth good work. Because the knowledge of the Lord with all spiritual wisdom and understanding will be part of who we are. A God-oriented, a God-trusting, a God-surrendered, and a God-loving people. May we be so. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.